Initiate within a satisfactory duration the audio introductory henceforth. Double plus good. At the theme music. Yeah, hey. All right, cool. <laughs> you saw that. I did that shit. I watched it. I saw, I watched you write it. I watched you agonize over it. Uh-huh. It was like you're, you're like Emily Dickinson by the candlelight going for it. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Gabriel, you did not watch me. How dare you? You don't know that. Oh, you're just, you're somehow like, you like the whole time I was at my computer, you just cracked my door open and was just watching me. Yeah, going. I just amped up the Animal Crossing sound effects so you wouldn't know. Okay. Well, that's fun. I understand that. Welcome, dear listener readers. Hi. To, sorry, I didn't realize you were taking a drink. No. To, uh, slow crossing. Slow crossings. <laughs> uh, animal readers. Animal readers. Hey, that applies to this Ameri- author. America's fast pace, Animal Crossing. Yeah. <laughs> and Animal Farm. Totally. I did write that down when I was writing Animal Farm. I wrote down Animal Crossing instead, and I was like, ugh, all right. Now, um, be wary if a pig named Napoleon moves into your island. Nah, oh, I hope that happens. Uh, no, this is Slow Readers, America's Fast Paced Literature Podcast. That sure is us. This is books. <laughs> this is reading. This is written word. This is 60 minutes. This is hopefully under 60 minutes this time. Mm. Uh, uh, yeah. We'll see. And, and this is a show brought to you by Top Gun Radio. Uh, we curse. Yeah. <laughs> We're the only explicit literature podcast. Fuck yeah. Gabriel. The last couple episodes have been a bit long. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, you've clearly no idea because uh, there were such breezy experiences. Yeah, they were easy. They were breezy. Gabriel? Mm-hmm. So let's let's remedy that by getting, not right to the thing, but let's move along. Sure. First off, yeah. what are you? Hello, everyone. My name is Gabe Mara. I'm a comedian every now and again. I'm a writer and a podcast producer. And um, uh, if you're ordering um, bottles of gin or wine in a general Studio City area, I'm dropping off your liquor bottles. Oh, in your bedroom. Yeah, yeah. What about you, sir? Uh, I am Daniel Gonzalez. Gonzalez, Gonzalez. Naughty producer, editor, writer, and an author of fiction. And of note. And don't forget, all you people out there, if you love the sound of this, I want you to hit one button. If you love the sound of gin in my mouth. Gin in your mouth. I want y'all hit one button. It's that little button called subscribe. Yeah, or press a star count for us. Oh, how many stars should they select? Um, They should select... Five. Good job. Five. And then if you're going to hit some other buttons, leave a review saying something nice. We'll read it on air. Yeah, Daniel, I'm thinking of investing in a uh, simple um, soundboard kind of app on like my iPad just to make simple beats. And I figure every week from now on, we should make we should improvise a little song to make sure people um, for our call to action, make sure people subscribe to us. That makes sense, because if, if I'm well known for one thing, it's by my improvised songs. Hell Yeah. Because yeah, I, I think of um one of my favorite podcasts called The Big Ones, <laughs> where um uh, two young ladies they do um uh, they answer life's big questions. Um, they have they made a little song so you know their phone number uh-huh. to call in your your questions, and I can ne- I can never stop singing it. Six two six six so far six two six two. Bah. So um call <laughs> the big ones for your questions I guess. Yeah, call the big ones guys. So uh yeah. Starting next week, we're going to be singing a song, improvised, about giving us a call to action. Yes, maybe. Uh, Doing the call to action. (laughs) That said, Gabriel, Mm -hmm. moving right along, we have a story to talk about. We not really. Well, yeah, we do. It's a, well, it's not a story. It's the story of man. It's a story of writing. It's a story of words. It's a story of written words, actually. Yeah, good point. Yeah, Um, it's a story of words on the page. Gabriel. Yeah. 
I think uh, we call these kinds of things uh, stories of the written word. Yeah. But like, I think others like randos uh, will call these uh, nonfiction articles. <laughs> yeah, I guess essays. Or essays, I guess. Nonfiction articles. Nonfiction articles, aka sure. essays. Yep. <laughs> like I'm a fucking alien. Uh-huh. Uh, Gabriel. Yeah. Uh, you selected this particular. I sure did. Uh, a- a story on the written word. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um. What? What are we? What are we talking about? We're talking about George Orwell's essay, Politics. Mm. And the English language. Yes, a title I will certainly get right every single time in this episode. I know, you're a laser beam. Politics. But I was actually, I was trying to find it on Wikipedia again uh, when I was doing the research. There's an article on this uh, essay, isn't there? Yeah, there is. And and like, like I was trying to find it without looking it up again. And like, I was like, it's like, okay, the English language and politics. Wait, what? Wasn't it called that? What the fuck? Mm-mm. Yeah. To me, it's a very... It's a painfully plain title, and like it's so simple that I kind of keep like not remembering what it is. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I already forgot it. <laughs> anyway, that's it, Gabriel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, I yeah, have some yeah, things yeah. to talk about the author. Okay. And Gabriel, this about is about old Eric. Er, er, old Eric Arthur Blair. Eric Blair. Gabriel, this is actually the second time we're talking about old Georgie Orwell. Yeah. When was the first time? Uh, it was for episode num- numero uno. Numero uno, lost the time. Yep. Lost the time, aka it's on the website. Yeah. Uh, but Gabriel, we did, uh, our very first episode was on Animal Crossing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was on, on Animal the tip Crossing. of my tongue again. Seriously. Mm-hmm. It was on Animal Farm. I'm sorry. Yes. Uh, which is one of his two best known works. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, everyone knows George Orwell because he's the guy who wrote Animal Farm. Uh, which everybody crossing, re- uh, aka Animal Crossing. Mm-hmm. He also wrote Animal Crossing. You yeah. know, like all like the you know like really impressed with the writing of this game. Yeah, like it's all Orwell. Really outstanding writing. Yeah. The- I mean, I'm pretty sure Blathers the Owl is in fact George Orwell. Oh yeah, pretty much. Uh, he hates bugs. <laughs> I mean, looking at this, you're just like, I get it. This is Orwellian. Yes, of course. Gabriel, uh, uh-huh. no, he he did the Animal Farm, and he also did uh, 1984, which is both books like a lot of people read for like school. Yeah, like like high school required reading. Yeah. Uh, I I talked about this uh, when we talked about uh, it, uh, Animal Crossing the first three time. Three years, Animal Crossing. Uh, <laughs> three years ago, Animal Farm. Uh, I have not read any Orwell stories uh, until we did Animal Farm. Wait, so you, you didn't read 1984? I didn't never. No, I've not read. Uh, the only mm. thing I know about 1984 just through osmosis. I know it's about uh, yeah, it's to- pop culture, totalitarian, dystopia, and whatnot. And Big I know- Brother. And like, uh, I know that Orwell like. It's like famous for its depiction of like like a realistic in a way and also relevant to like real world, uh, you know, like a dystopian totalitarian. And, and That's like, kind of a shame, actually, because there's a lot of points in this essay I wanted to break down with you about 1984, like um, like Ingsoc and Doublespeak stuff. Oh, yeah. No, I know that. Like okay. that, that, that kind of counts because like all of those, I mean, particularly not to get too far ahead, but um, this is an essay he wrote several years before like actually right on the cusp of writing 1984 in fact Mm. he might have started it already uh and like it's there's a lot of like the language of of a dictatorship and oppression you know Mm -hmm. so anyway but we're getting a bit ahead here okay gabriel let me let me lay down some facts about orwell about eric uh, I made the mistake. My good friend Eric. I made the mistake, and I feel like I was I was like writing a bit too much about his earlier life. I'm thinking like, okay, that's kind of interesting, and all like the interesting shit is in like the latter half of his life. Yeah, um, that's a problem with researching these well-known authors. Yeah, especially because like people talk about like their boring fucking like early years, mm-hmm. and like they're not interesting, and then like yeah. later on, it's like, by the way, he was shot in the throat. <laughs> Wait, um, was he really? Yeah. 
What? Uh, yeah, I'll get to it. Um, Gabriel, so. I hope in like everyday life and not in war. <laughs> uh, no, it was in war. Uh, yeah. Gabriel, uh, Eric Arthur Blair uh, yeah. lived from 1903 to 1950. Wow. So he died very I didn't young. realize he died so close to the publication of 1984. Yeah, 1984 was published in 1949. Yeah. Uh, Animal Farm was published in 1946. Wow, I didn't realize he died so early. Yeah. Uh, the, the nickname Orwell comes from the River Orwell in, Sorth- in Suffolk. Suffolk. Suffolk? Ugh, that's a hard word. Ugh. So fuck. Suffolk. 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 Count. Suffolk. 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 Uh, Animal but, Crossing. Uh, I'm going to try and like blow through this because like this is less interesting stuff. But basically he was born in, in, in like British India. Um, and his... It's called Brindia. Brindia. Uh, it was one of those... He had like a... He called his family low, middle, uh, upper, middle class because his grandfather was wealthy. His dad was like a working middle class man. But like they also just didn't really have like as much money as certain other like Brits and whatnot. So, like, it was kind of, like, all over the place, but in the middle. Mm. Um, oh, my God, a scooter. A scoot! Uh, that said, uh, he had, like, but he, like, moved to England when he was a kid. Um, he, he Then he, like, moved back to India, where he was actually an imperial police officer. Oh, wow. Uh, which is interesting. I did not know that. Especially just thinking about the fact that George Orwell worked as a fucking policeman for an empire for an empire yeah uh, for an imperialist uh, empire yeah so that's it's a funny thing uh he's also been accused i didn't write it down but like accused of having like a, a bit of like a fascist like personal streak but like it's basically it's like moments when like he was just like showing a bit aggression during when he was like you know in control like either when he was a teacher or as a policeman where like at some point someone was like i saw you do that one thing that was really rash and it's like it's like well people you are know. complicated you yeah. write you write things about things you know yeah um, but that said, uh, uh, one of the, he actually picked up in the early years, he, he, now people know him as basically being an anti-fascist slash, uh, pro Antifa socialist, uh, socialist. Um, but in the early years, uh, basically like after he was a police officer, he then, uh, like many young authors at the time, he lived in London and in Paris, uh, so he's kind of like he. he I heard he was down and out in those places. Yeah, he uh, he moved to Paris at the end of the twenties, so he's kind of affiliated with like the nineteen twenties expat scene, but sure. not, like not really, um, because he's kind of he came in like after a lot of people left already. Yeah, there's 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 he's a bit of an outsider to that. Again, yeah. like at one point, I definitely want to do down and out in Paris and London, which I think is a phenomenal read. Yeah, I'm gonna get to that moment. That's why I blew <laughs> I blew past that because it's like oh no, I'm gonna say something, but I keep getting distracted. That's it. Uh, but. Us? If, uh, yeah, like he showed up in 1920s Paris, but after Fitzgerald and Hemingway left the party. So, Mm -hmm. you know, like he's already kind of like an outsider at that point. Like like most of the people moved on. Um, uh, that said, uh, during this time, he, uh, basically, uh, embedded himself, especially in London. And I believe like the Whitechapel area, which Mm -hmm. is basically like the working poor. Uh, and he started, he started just writing about like the realities of what it's like for like tens of thousands of people were living, that like most like you know like educated literary people don't necessarily know, mm-hmm. and uh, he published that in a uh, an art, uh, I think his first book, a nonfiction book, uh, aka um, um, uh, a story on words. Uh, sure, that's <laughs> uh, how those work. Down and out in London and Paris. I thought it was Paris and London. It's London and Paris. Paris and London, possibly. I mean, mm. I could double check. Clearly, it's kind of interchangeable. And, yeah, and also clearly, I didn't give a shit about facts. You don't give a shit about uh, the reality. Oh, it's right here, isn't it? Down and out in Paris and London. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay. Um, but he also wrote, uh, where was I? He also wrote How the Poor Die and The Spike, uh, which are basically all about like poverty and whatnot. So I dig it. That was his first thing. And then like later on, he kind of began writing about the other things. Um, that said, uh, he moved back to England after that and he became a teacher for a good long while. Sure. Uh, you know, because they all did. 
Um, he Then he became like a war correspondent during the Spanish Civil War and then again uh, on the home front in World War II. Hmm. Uh, Is that yet, when he got shot in the fucking throat? Uh, during the Spanish Civil War. Uh, he has since been regarded as a lifelong anti-fascist writer, like basically about like during this time. Mm-hmm. But like before then, he was mainly focusing on that. Also, he started out as a poet, but who cares? Sure. Uh, okay. Following leftist forces during the Spanish Civil War, Orwell was struck in the throat by a sniper's bullet. Wow. Supposedly, he was too tall for the Spanish trenches, since <laughs> apparently, like, Spanish men were, like, on average slightly smaller, and, like, Orwell was pretty tall. He was, like, a few inches over six foot or whatever. Big guy. The bullet missed his main arteries by the slimmest margins, but blood was pouring out of his mouth. At first, he couldn't speak, and then, like, basically in recovery, his, like, voice was, like, reduced to a faint whisper during this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the wound so was... he was an ASMR guy? Yeah, basically. The uh, the wound was such a clean shot that it cauterized. Uh, wow. So, like, basically, like, it's... For being shot in the throat by a sniper, he that was, was a, extremely lucky. That was the best possible throat shot he could have had. Yes. Uh, so, like, you know... And it's crazy because, like, this would have been, like, in, like, the mid to slash, like, late 30s. So, like, yeah. Yeah, you know. these weren't, you know, like, like clean bullets and the best... No, most yeah, hygienic yeah. situation and like nobody would have known Orwell because like you know many war correspondents were killed of course mm-hmm. um, uh, while in hospital he also received electroshock therapy oh which always ends well in hospital like a true Brit in hospital yeah uh, so after this uh, the group also during this like the group that Orwell was associated with which was like it's I'm not t- gonna get too much in the details of this because Spanish sure. Civil War is very complicated I know uh, nothing about it yeah it's 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 a whole other thing it's basically like World War II happened in all of Spain <laughs> uh, maybe but uh, but basically like the group that he was associated with was declared as a Trotskyist group okay uh, by like the left um, the side that he, they were all supposed to be on. Sure. And, so and the left were like, you guys are too left. You guys are like, you guys are a bunch of Trotskyists, which basically means that you guys are fascists and you work against us. What? So there's all kinds of like, like severe, like propaganda that was like against that group. There was like a poster where it's like one of these uh, guys had like his like hat removed and he had like a swastika on his head and everything. Good Lord. Uh, so basically like a lot of Orwell's friends were like arrested and shit. Uh, Orwell and his wife had to like flee the country, which is and the crazy thing by being by his own people, basically. Yeah, wow. By his own side. Um, so yeah, uh, upon returning to England, uh, basically people didn't care for his writings about the Spanish Civil War. Sure. Um, and so basically Orwell, interesting enough, took up animal husbandry at That's this time. That's fun. Yeah, get hey. it. Get it. He, he, like like that horse who just tries so valiantly. Oh man, that fucking horse. Old Valiant the horse. All right. Hopefully the, the rest. Name was. So, uh, so oddly enough, again, like uh, his early stuff wasn't as interesting. Then it gets fucking cool, right? Okay. Uh, during his <laughs> Guys, here's where it gets fucking cool. I mean, like being shot in the throat was actually pretty cool. That's I don't mean to say it like that. Yeah, but mm-hmm. all right. So during his World War II era, uh, he was an early anti-Stalinist. Sure. Because again, it, Gabriel, if you remember Animal farm Mm -hmm. um it seemed to be like severely critical of like communist russia especially yeah specifically Mm -hmm. um people i think were taking this as kind of like an anti like extreme leftist kind of thing sure but he was a leftist in fact he was a socialist not a communist Mm -hmm. uh but uh he found shame that like america and uk were working with like like this guy who was doing all these mass purges because like a lot of people at the time when we were allied with russia were you know he's like so like the guy's like a, like a fucking genocidist, you know? Like, yeah. Like what? What the fuck, guys? He's really bad. He's re- he's not a good dude. Yeah. So, uh, also while in New York, he had dinner with H.G. Wells. Oh, that's cool. But the dinner devolved into a fight. 
Even better. Because Orwell made apparently some sort of like unflattering observations of him in an article before. Awesome. <laughs> so, Wait, if this isn't the play, I want it to be a play. Yeah, no. Uh, I guess we should just write that play. That is a scene. That I tell you what, that's a one-act scene. Two people sitting down at a table. It is H.G. Wells, George Orwell... You want to? You're like kind of geeking out over this, and they fucking fight. <laughs> do, do you want? Do you want to like write it and perform it on this podcast? That's not a bad. Yeah. Wait. No. Who do you want to be? Do you want to be Orwell or you want to be Wells? Um. Here, let's see. Who do I? Who Who would you rather be? I don't know. I don't. I do a terrible British accent. Fortunately, they're both British. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Oi, HG, it's me. Was, Wait, that's Australian. Can I? How <laughs> about this? Can, can it be two other people, and then I show up as Jules Verne for no reason? Sure. At all? <laughs> All right. And then I'll just show up as Marty McFly. It'll be great. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. I'm sorry. Moving on. His wife, Eileen, died while under anesthesia during a hysterectomy operation. Oh, that's upsetting. Not only that, she did not tell her husband she was having the operation because she knew that he would just worry about the cost of the operation. And she was like, I'm going to recover very quickly. Whoa, gee, Lula Wang much? So, yeah. So, this was... Uh, the farewell? Eileen uh, died five months before Animal Farm was published. Oh, uh, man. Animal Farm also received, like, great acclaim and, and, like, you know, whatnot. So, like, he became, like, a really successful, like, famous writer after that so just like in that one episode of dollhouse just like in the wind rises oh uh, that too yeah i guess i mean episode of dollhouse what? yeah where Patton oswald he totally gets like all like he always goes into the dollhouse he gets like a fake wife thing like the dollhouse experience uh-huh. and then he has this really great monologue about how like he's like a spongebob like creator analog uh-huh. and then he has like this great dramatic monologue where he's like um my wife supported me all throughout this dumb time where I was just drawing stupid cartoons and the day I sold my cartoon I promised her we were going to go on vacation whatever she gets hit by a car and then I have nothing all I have is this cartoon so how dare you try to take away this little moment I have and it's like they're using brainwashed hookers yeah (laughs) that was a good show yeah I had a hard time getting into it. Yeah, it had a lot of stinkers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all right, that's a whole, that's a whole, we'll do an entire episode on Dollhouse. Well, I'm pretty sure Orwell wrote Dollhouse. I'm pretty sure too. That was him. Clearly it's based on that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Orwell was prolific in the years following his his wife's death. Mm -hmm. Uh, He even wrote an article on British cookery. Oh, that's cool. I want to read that. Uh, It actually went, it was actually not published back then because the government was like, listen, everyone's rationing right now. Let's not talk about food. I mean, that's what's cool about Down and Out in Paris and London. It's about starving and about food and working as a plongeur in in like Paris about being like a low man in a restaurant about how all you do is you clean shit and then you get shit faced drunk of the rest of the (laughs) restaurant staff until you report back and you work in miserable conditions but also it's like living yeah that sounds fun like i don't know yeah you you clearly have read it i haven't but like yeah no the fact it's on poverty but apparently it had like a huge impact on like the restaurateur like kind of like yeah world or whatever it's about, like poverty and joie de vivre okay. and misery it's pretty great that sounds fun sounds like a good time <laughs> I, it's a great read sounds, I, I really love it yeah i really love the kitchen confidential all right uh sorry one second. yeah i think it took a few pages out of that um however also if you're interested i believe this i believe the article is just called like british cookery sure um and it was like it was like rediscovered and like published with an apology in like 2003 or something like wow, that. wow really so yeah so, i want to read that 
Uh, and also during this time, Orwell tried to uh, propose marriage to a series of younger women who all rejected him. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, dude. Also, to kind of heap on, like, this kind of world of having, like, the highest of successes with, like, the lowest of lows. Uh, in 1946, he suffered his first tubercular hemorrhage. Whoa. Uh, which he kept a secret at the time. Sure. So, again. As you uh, do. He became a very. All right. Uh, actually, let's move on. Let's, uh, he moved to London briefly and, like, again, discovering that all of a sudden he's, like, this well-known writer you know because of animal farm uh but the clean air act uh, pre-clean air act london smog uh basically like only hurt his tuberculosis sure um and he was like working frantically like i said extremely prolific he wrote like hundreds of articles during this time wow uh and basically he moved back to the english island of jura which he had lived before um and seriously committed writing uh, 1984 uh, he finished the manuscript at the end of 1948 and published it in 1949 Yo. and died of tuberculosis in 1950. Woof. So, like, yeah, he 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 had that best of successes in the last five years of his life. Right after his wife died. Yeah, right after his wife. Basically, between, like, his wife dying and dying of tuberculosis, he had, like, the he had like the golden age of, like, like everything I put out was not necessarily a hit, but, like, he had his best, best hits and whatnot. Wow. So that's uh, tough before dying at the age of 47, I, th- I believe it was. That's so young. Uh, yeah. So uh, real quick, um, politics in the English language. And I don't want to I have some notes that we can talk about, like after we discuss what. Sure. Um, politics in the English language, like, like most of his well-known works, was published in the last like five to ten years of his life. Yeah. Um, it was it appeared in the n- April 1946 edition of Horizon. Uh, and he wrote it in. Bas- Zero Dawn? What's that? Zero How dare you. Uh, <laughs> he wrote the story uh, during his uh, prolific year following his wife's death. And also, uh, basically, he wrote it on the... It, he started writing it. It was published in 1946. Like, he had just started writing 1946? 1984? Uh, uh, 1984? Uh, or, like, he was about to start writing it. Yeah. So, like, clearly, like, language and oppression and whatnot are on the mm-hmm. same. On the uh, and the article was also published simultaneously with another of his called The Prevention of Literature... Uh, Interesting. Which, which are both on language and truth. Cool. Right. So I have one other moment. But Gabriel, I'm sorry. I love language and truth. I've gone on long enough. Yeah. Uh, can you tell us what politics in the English language... What is it? Politics. <laughs> that was correct. Uh, politics in the English language? All mm-hmm. right. It can go... It can be one way or the other, right? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> like down and out in London and Paris. Yeah, basically. It could be uh, Paris or London can go first. I just forget which one goes first. But I'm sorry. Can you mm-hmm. tell us what happens in this word story so it's an essay and it's hard to sum up an essay without reading the whole thing it's not very long about how many words is it daniel did you look it up oh no i i didn't i actually i actually i did try to look to see if it was alone on a kobo or something like that but i didn't see anything hmm. i could have copy pasted it but yeah, like that was an option uh, let's say <laughs> six thousand ish words I'm sure so like a good a good proper essay maybe five thousand that ends with the end <laughs> which i really enjoy it does it One yeah let me see my copy yeah you can read so listeners you can read this essay online very very, very easily it's not very long and so and we i know it's difficult you know daniel and i we we barely made ourselves out of academia personally i absolutely hate being in school mm. and a large portion of that was academic writing and reading so i think really not to not to tangent right away the real the tangent. reason why i stopped caring about school was taking a um 19th century philosopher course and being unable to read one of the essays because it was just so fucking un- unreadable yeah. I just gave up I remember throwing the book against the wall being like school's terrible <laughs> and like so 
Politics in English Language is an essay by George Orwell where he criticizes basically um, this new way of modern English writing yes. that he has a lot of problems with. If you want to skip to the end, it's basically um, the strunk and white elements of style arguments, but much more thoroughly. Yeah. He starts it out very amusingly, in my opinion. He, ha- he, he lists five passages. Uh-huh. They are all... Fucking nonsense, Daniel. Do you want do you want to exchange reading these out out loud? Uh, uh, to be honest, well, like, <laughs> or at least at least two or three. Of they're them. so painful. Like, yeah. I honestly like my eyes hit like some of these sentences. Uh, let me. The let me... first one is an embarrassment. Go go ahead and read the first one. Right. I, I'm gonna find this yeah. the one that I. So like yeah, like Orwell's thesis statement early on is like I don't know what these people are doing anymore. English has lost its way. Look at this. Look at some, some look at these passages. Number one. Mm-hmm. I am not, indeed, sure whether it is not true to say that the Milton who once seemed not unlike a 17th century Shelley had not become, out of an experience ever more bitter in each year, more alien, sick, to the founder of that Jesuit sect which nothing could induce him to tolerate. That is Professor Harold Lasky in an essay. That is the most unreadable thing I've ever seen. Uh, one of them. I mean, they're all them. really bad. They're all terrible. Uh, let me let me read the one because, like, I like my, I really don't know what you just said. <laughs> yeah, it's nonsense. <laughs> it's, it's it's really it's, it's here's what Orwell says like leading up to it. These five passages have not been picked up because they are especially bad. I could have quoted far worse if I had chosen, mm-hmm. but because they illustrate version various of the mental vices from which we now suffer. Yeah. Uh. It, truly and like it's about the deterioration these, of language these do uh, okay let me read this one then I'll, then I'll say and I'll say it like I'll give it with like my my mental kind of notes right sure on the one side we have the free personality by definition it is not neurotic for it has neither conflict nor dream right there I went Ugh. what <laughs> <laughs> well he kind of said this as well where it's like there's there's like unnecessary negatives in there yeah it's like it is not this for it is neither well, this yeah and you'd like when you when you this is yeah all right mm-hmm. so like and then like there's like three really long sentences afterwards which at this point i'm like i don't know what this is i didn't understand the first sentence the yeah, top sentence. a lot of italics too so um gabriel yeah mm-hmm. these these like uh i i literally don't know what any of these sen- these things are about yeah like literally like my mind reads them and then just immediately drifts because I'm like, I don't know what you just said. Yeah. So yeah. um he moves he goes on to describe that here's the problems with these essays if these like like most writing today, most academic writing, most speaking language, and especially in political language. Yes. That people keep using dying metaphors. His example is that you people have phrases like um what, take up the cudgel for, mm-hmm. toe the line, ride rough shot over Playing to the hands of a swan song, Killy's Heel. Yeah. To him, to Orwell, these are overused to the point of being meaningless because people don't actually know what they mean anymore. They're just phrases that we use as placeholders. When if you're going to be using a metaphor, make a new metaphor. It's supposed to mean something. Yeah. Like like this shorthand isn't good writing. Yeah. He makes the fine point that like, why use such like a commonly overly used metaphor? Because that's not what a metaphor is for. A metaphor is basically to really put like a physical imagery in your mind yes. to describe something and it's like to say toe the line doesn't really put a it's basically empty you know yeah pretty much but, which I, I like a lot his next one is operators or verbal false limbs these are basically um uh, a lot of it is these are these things all of these things are these things you use to pad out a school assignment a writing assignment <laughs> yeah like for example um a uh, render inoperative militate against 
be subjected to, give rise to, these long extra words you use to say something, to add words to something that you're not writing clearly. Yeah, uh, not to get too far ahead uh, mm-hmm. in terms of the things I had to say about that I have, like, I took notes on. I laughed a bunch while reading this essay. Oh, yeah, no, it's it's pretty, it's pretty hilarious. It's, it's I actually found it too painful. <laughs> yeah. It re- reads like, it reads like, or the, especially the bad examples sound like reading really bad college essays. Yeah. Like, it's, it's clearly, I mean, in fact, what he's talking about, like, people kind of grasping at these concepts that they themselves clearly don't understand because they're using like the vaguest yeah. of language and, and also i think that's the problem is that it's not even bad essays as in as if as in students writing these yeah. i've read these things for classes and they're unreadable yes be, it, these are the these are the people who who pass fucking tenure who write these yeah. essays that are not readable to the average student it's it's yeah they their their career is that yeah exactly (laughs) people have built lives both like academics and politicians have built careers on saying these obvious phrases and these massages and these like these complete undermining statements to hide their real meaning or just to not to prove his point toe a line (laughs) also not to not to not to not to get not to be do you want to talk about the next to the pretentious uh, I, I can but like not to get too to nitpicky or whatever but Aurel himself uses one of them yeah and, that i that i found in the actual like not ironically he, he admits that he's like yes and if you're reading carefully i did a bunch of these in yeah my he, he does one of them and i've, I've if, every time i i pick it right now because my mind is so geared to like avoid using it mm-hmm. is the phrase in order to in order to because like any literally anytime you use in order to you can just sh- shorten it to two like, that's fair and you do that and you realize oh whoops yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, in my uh, defense, I use these things to kill time and to give myself more time to think. Eh. What, when you talk or when you write? Oh, and, and, and when I talk, never when I write. Oh, yeah, talking is different. Oh, but that's not his point, though. Yeah. It, it's 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 all it's permutated into language. Well, sure, yeah. I mean, well, that's it's yeah. I mean, like you could either do that or say um or uh, you know, that's technically true. either is bad, but just as forgivable. Yeah, want to like, talk about the next two? Yeah, the next one is pretentious diction. I love that. Uh, basically, in like in like our kind of terms, it's basically using like the fifty dollar word to describe like yeah. you know something that you can use with clear def- de- language and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, he specifically uses phrases such as phenomenon. Uh, 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 categorical, categorical, vir- virtual, constitute, um, clandestine. He used adjectives like epoch-making, epic, <laughs> unforgettable, age-old, inexorable, uh, inexorable, uh, inexorable, whatever. Uh, and he and basically he makes the point that like uh, mm-hmm. lots of people, especially, use like these old like kind of like militaristic jargon. Uh, basically, like using in very like in like metaphorical terms, like realm, throne. I, yeah, uh, mailed fisted, which I, which we yeah. call iron fisted. Yeah, what he, what he's saying is that these are it's not that these are bad words. It's that they are used now to for a propaganda style agenda. That if you're describing a military operation that you want to drum up support for, mm-hmm. you use like royal sounding like like big words. Yeah, these these sound mighty and big. Yeah, and but like but usually they're just they're a little more pretentious because they're just, they're essentially just like using. Yeah. Anyway, but um. Yeah. But also, he also talks about like using like Latin phrases and like foreign mm-hmm. foreign phrases and whatnot. Ancien uh, regime. The the next one in a similar way is meaningless words. Mm-hmm. Um, words like romantic, plastic values, dead, sentimental, natural, uh, are basically just like words. I mean, he talks about this, and there's better <laughs> examples I'll get to in a moment where like they mean 
several things and like people use them not necessarily knowing what they mean but just yeah. kind of like what you think that they mean mm-hmm. um, to push forward their own point yes specifically uh in terms of and we haven't actually really talked about like the main theme especially what it has to do with politics yet which, yeah which you'll get to in a moment but specifically words like democracy socialism freedom patriarch yeah. Patriotic, I mean. A patriot is my favorite one. Pa- yeah, patriotic freedom's another big one. And like... It'll tie into our game. These sound intensely like kind of like the political jargon you might have heard in the last like 20 years in America. Mm-hmm. Where like anytime people talk about these things, like they sound the, big The, the Patriot proud. Act? The that pa- was one of my favorites. Uh, my Well, my favorite, speaking of, a, of uh, Bush 2 era, um, is that uh, uh, the terrorists are jealous of our freedom. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> oh my god where it's like stuff like that where again like freedom means a million different things yeah like it's not it's it's a meaningless word necessarily like you're not talking about freedom you're talking about something else yeah you're talking about your agenda and I'll, I'll, maybe i'll let you describe like what these basically mean but gabriel so yeah like do you want to do you want to get into what, what what's the next point that you want to make on this um so there's a lot more he goes into the breakdown of how um that's exactly me killing wasting time while I try to figure out what to say. <laughs> yeah, no no, it's, again, speech is whatever. Yeah, it's different. <laughs> yeah. Um he writes about how we can just um consolidate and keep things simpler instead of saying he does this great example where he says the same sentence twice but one is with uh ridiculous modern english it's from um ecclesiastes Uh, ecclesiastes ecclesiastes is that yeah sure there's like a bunch of bible and this made me laugh out loud yes here so i'll I'll read it um i'll read here's the here's a lead up yeah do i tell you what do you want to do the original one and then i'll do the other one or do you want to do it i'll do that here I'll, i'll read the lead up as well okay um let me give another example of the kind of writing that they lead to, meaning like uh, the meaningless words. Yes. <laughs> um, this time it must be, if it's nature, an imaginary one. I'm going to translate a passage of good English into modern English of the worst sort. Here's the verse from Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, I believe. Sure. I believe. I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding nor yet favor to men of skill, but time and chance happeneth to them all. Very, very clear, like, like images. Like very, yeah. Images. Like it is, it, is, it makes a really clear very straightforward. It's actually, it's actually really great writing. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Anyway. So, uh, and as it continues here, it is in modern English. <clears throat> Let me see if I can read this. Yeah. Objective considerations of contemporary phenomena compel the conclusion that success or failure in competitive activities exhibits no tendency to be consumerate commensurate 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 with innate capacity but that a considerable element of the unpredictable must invariably be taken into account i i actually said out loud the word fuck you like after, i'm like that's so lame my mind went blank halfway through that yeah I, i'm just I might, i'm struggling to just read the words mm-hmm. all right so yeah, uh, uh, clearly, and again, this is modern English, particularly in writing us in like the mid forties. Like mm-hmm. this kind of like language was like really infecting. And I think it's yeah, and it's continues to this day. It it does, unfortunately. I I hope. Well, I think more than anything, you find that kind of writing in like, like academia and art, and like the not so much like profession, like literary articles necessarily, but like yeah. mainly 
in like academia for like, people who like haven't necessarily studied writing that like they think because people back then were really using this kind of language like because they thought they had to talk like this to sound smart i suppose so i think that, that still applies today to people who want yeah. to sound smart in writing and in for essays yeah I- I- exactly like this is this like hearing like the, the worst thing i think the most painful thing about reading some of these sentences is that you're like, oh god, this is what it's like reading like a two thousand word essay back from college or something mm-hmm. like, like that y- I had written, you know? I suppose so. Like I, I, I'm worried. It's like I'm looking at this, and it's it's clearly someone just being like, well, in order to do this, you can presuppose, you know? <laughs> for me, like like the student reading is eye worthy, but for me, the thing that horrifies me is I remember the reading these. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like I think I complained to you ad nauseum. Uh-huh. On uh, one of my last film courses, or I was writing about films in the 1950s, and I, w- I had to read this book about um uh, about the Western mm-hmm. and all the different stages of um the material from like original to parody to deconstruction, mm-hmm. and that sounds awesome. But the book itself was written in this intolerable, awful, 50 cent word like academic style that reeks of all <laughs> this stuff. That I mean, I'm sure that was written like in like 70 something. But yeah. so it was still prevalent back then. But goddamn, it, yeah. it makes <clears throat> for me the idea that people built their careers on this just makes me like like nauseous. Yeah, like nauseated. You you could have a job while writing it like this. Like mm-hmm. that's that's crazy because you I read this and you just go like like I I can't read I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, um, la profesora, um, she was always really good about sending me essays written about you know like English novels that mm-hmm. were written in plain language. It's a lot of fun. It proved that academia could be interesting and plain and enjoyable yeah and it makes all the other stuffy stuff even worse yeah it's it's great like don't get me wrong good professional writing nowadays is very different than yeah. this kind of thing uh but like yeah it okay um gabriel i think we're going a bit long but before Waiting we go on, the politics b- before yet. we go on break yes let's talk about the politics thing mm-hmm. gabriel yes daniels <laughs> so all this applies even more so, especially that talk about the definitions of democracy and freedom yes. applies much more well now as well as it does then. Um, I actually wanted to ask you, well, I mean, there's, there's an entire topic about this. I think I'll save it for part three because it's more of a debate topic that I want to bring up with you. Okay. That I think is interesting. Um, so that's so the politics. Let's discuss the last <clears throat> few, the, the final rules he puts down. Okay. Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, we'll talk about the final rules then. Yeah. Uh, and they're basically the elements of style, but yeah. Uh, to be honest, like these rules have, like in one way or another, sound completely like it's like yeah. I remember reading this in somewhere else. Um, this I believe. Oh, I forget the time frame of it, but like uh, for example, we keep mentioning the elements of style by Strunk and White by Strunk, uh, William Strunk and E. B. White. I forgot E. B. White, creator of uh, Charles Webb. Charles Webb, yeah. Not. <laughs> yeah, it is the same person. Isn't that him? Yeah, no. E. B. White wrote Charlotte's Web. What a woman wrote Charlotte's Web. Well, I, I could look that up. But Gabriel, I also I want to look up to see when the when that first came out. What Strong and uh, White? Elements of Style. Like, like 1912 or something, didn't it? Uh 1920 by 20. William Strunk, E. B. White. I was confused. E. B. White. Of a. Oh, a. Mill. you mean E. B. White, writer of Stuart Little? Oh, the same person. Char- oh, they, wait, <laughs> same person. Uh, Stuart Little, Charlotte's Web, Trumpet of the Swan. And I didn't even realize Stuart Little is written by the same author as Charlotte's Web. That's wild. I, I didn't connect that. That E. B. Michael White's J. Just, Fox. Yeah, Michael J. Fucking Fox. Speaking of washing my hands for about two minutes straight. I don't get it. 
Oh, it was a Explain scrub. It was a Scrubs episode. Okay. Oh, oh, okay. All right, yeah. I really don't get it. I thought I thought you were making an off-color joke. Never. I, I love MJF. All right. I'm just saying. I'm giving you a look, being like, okay, dude. Yeah. Whatever. No. Uh, that said, no, I didn't realize that that was the same Evie White from Elements of Style. I had no idea. Uh, William Strunk wrote it in well in 1918, published in 1920. So that's interesting so basically you're saying that uh, orwell got all of his best material from the elements of style i believe so because okay. um, yeah so here's the rules let's yes. alternate number one never use a metaphor simile or other figure of speech which you are used to seeing in print mm-hmm. two never use a two. long word where a short one will do number three if it is possible to cut a word out always cut it out four never use the passive where you can use the active five Never use a foreign phrase, a scientific word, or a jargon word if you can think of an everyday English equivalent. Six, break any of these rules sooner than say anything outright barbarous. Word. Yes. And, and Orwell ends by saying, you can follow all these rules and still write terribly, but these yeah. will help. Yeah. Um, and also just like just like a lot of other like lists of like really great like, hey, here's like a, here's a really brief list about how to write like in stronger English. Um, those sound, for the most part, entirely familiar. Mm-hmm. Uh, Strunk and White, I believe, use phrases such as, like, avoid, like, avoid, like, the, the common phrase, uh, you know, don't, yeah, use active voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, passive voice is always less strong. Mm-hmm. Um, yet, uh, omit, You were listened to omit, by me. Omit needless words. Omit needless words. That's a really big one in, Strun- uh, in Strunk and White. Uh, but yeah, um, so a lot of that sounds familiar. And also ending with the phrase, uh... Also, break any of these rules if you feel like you really need to. Mm-hmm. You know, that's always a that's always a, a, a common uh, a greatest hit. I love it. Yeah. Um, we have a game to play after our break, and then I'll talk about the politics. Yeah. Let me think. I had something on the tip of my tongue I wanted to bring up. I know we should go to break. What was it? Um. Oh fuck! I forgot what it was. Is it the fudge brownie M and M's I bought? No, it's not that. I tell you what. Let's go to break. When okay. we come back, we have a game that Gabriel has nicely set up set up for us. <laughs> Gabriel. Mm-hmm. In a timely matter, please cease the recording. Good lord. Welcome back, dear Hi, everyone. To... Slow readers. Yeah. America's Fast Best Literature Podcast. That's us. I'm, I'm still Gabe. I'm, I'm Daniel. Uh-huh. All right, Gabriel. Yes, Daniel. We have a game. We have a game. Gabriel, what is this game you prepared for us? Daniel, so as we were talking about in the previous segment, Orwell has a lot of talk about um uh, about war, about um mm-hmm. uh, about life, about politics, mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. know, and how people sometimes abuse that language. Well, uh-huh. he himself talked about war, so I I, th- I looked at some Orwell quotes, and a lot of them were really fascinating, a lot of great. Okay. And I decided to play that game where I give you a bunch of quotes, mm-hmm. and you have to decide if they are a quote from Eric Blair, George Orwell, okay. or they are some other ridiculous, patriotic, philosophizing from the Metal Gear Solid series. Okay. <laughs> so, do, we, do you have a name for this? Oh, it's called Orwell Gear Solid. Or Orwell Gear Solid. Okay. Guns of... Guns of the, pa- Guns Guns of the of Patriots. Guns of the Patriot Act. <laughs> yes. So, Daniel, I'm going to read a quote, and you're going to say Orwell, or you're going to say Metal Gear. Okay. Um, Can I say you... Kojima? For some reason, I find that easier. Honestly, I was going to do Kojima quotes, but all of them were about Mario Brothers or about himself. Okay. I believe it. So, <laughs> Not um, surprising. Uh, Daniel, kindly uh-huh. cue some sweet Metal Gear music. Oh. Well, no one's going to hear it. Okay. should do it. Okay. 
Anyway. Well, we made a reference to it. Guys, we'll be playing some Metal Gear music in the background for this. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you, Com Kojima and Konami. Composer person. Composer guy. Okay. Hey, Here's your first quote. Oh, there goes your fucking There goes my phone device. on my soundboard. Okay. Here's your first quote. Whoever is winning at the moment will always seem to be... Oh, let me do it as Snake. Okay. Whoever's winning at the moment will always seem to be invincible. Orwell or Kojima? You know, it may, this makes me realize that Kojima is probably a huge fan of... I bet. Orwell. Um... <sighs> Clearly, it, it, the joke is being that it could be both of them. Uh, I'm gonna guess uh, Orwell. Excellent. Okay. Absolutely excellent. <laughs> you know, the That's logo for that sticker is two dudes, and I thought it was gonna be Bill and Ted shouting excellent, not that weird old guy saying excellent. Yeah, you mean that not Smithers? Or Smithers. Uh, Mr. Burns? Burns. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't even sound like it. Anyway, <laughs> correct, Daniel. Hey! Keep score. I never remember to keep score. One. How many questions are there? There is nine. Okay. There are plenty. All right. Okay. okay. Here's your next quote. All right. Revolution or no revolution, you pick up a gun. Oh, sorry, snake voice. Revolution or no revolution, you pick up a gun, and sooner or later, you're going to hell. Kojima, or, well, I'm gonna guess that's Kojima. Correct, Daniel. All right. <laughs> so those are your two practice Yay. ones. Those two. So that's two for Daniel. Two for me. Your next one. Okay. The very concept, the very concept of objective truth is fading out of the world. Lies will pass into history. I'm gonna guess that's Orwell. Daniel right. on a roll. Okay. Okay. Oh, by the way, that that first quote from Metal Gear that was Snake. In Metal Gear Solid Peace Walker for the PSP. Uh, okay. Okay. Here we go. All right. Hey, man. Unfortunately, I feel like this makes me realize, like, God, I know a lot about these games. <laughs> I, hey, if you sweep it, that's only, like, all I, about you. Well, it's not, I don't, yeah. I mean, like, I'm kind of, I'm trying to pick apart, like, the language itself, because, like, the language could be from either or. Okay. But, like, the main, like, you said Peace Walker, I'm like, oh, wasn't that, like, a place, PSP game? The PSP game. I never like even, that? I never heard of that one. Yeah, I've, I've heard of it, which makes me be like, oh, I know a lot about this game. The era of PSP <laughs> is a complete blind spot for me. Hey, bro. Next one. If you want a picture of the future... Imagine a boot stamping on a human face forever. Is that Kojima <laughs> or is that Orwell? I'm going to guess that's Kojima. That ah, okay. was Orwell. All right, okay. So we got three, three to one. Three against one. Here's your next one. Okay. It's not about changing the world. It's about doing our best to leave the world the way it is. It's about respecting the will of others and believing in your own. That could have come from the ending of Metal Gear Solid 2, so I'm going to guess Kojima. <laughs> oh, no. Daniel, that was Big Boss from Metal Gear Solid 4, Guns of Patriots. Oh, okay. All right. You know, I would have felt worse if, uh, if I actually got that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, like dead on. I 100% I beat the second one. I haven't... I think that's the only one I actually played the all the way only through. only one I played all the way through is the first one, Metal Gear yeah. Solid for, P for PlayStation 1. I think I... No, I didn't. I played, like, the remake for that on the GameCube. I don't think I beat it. I got really yeah. sick of it. <laughs> remember remember in Metal Gear Solid 1 when you catch a cold? And you're like, I can catch a fucking cold? No, I don't remember that. Yeah, you can catch a cold. Okay. It's pretty great. Yeah. That was a great game. And then it went all crazy. 
Yeah. Here's your next one, Daniel. Saying it wasn't Hands on buzzers. I sometimes think that the price of liberty is not so much eternal vigilance as eternal dirt. Is that Orwell or David Hayter? Here's the thing. I'm going to guess that's Kojima. Okay. Mainly because uh, using a word like liberty is like one of those kind of meaningless words. Like sure. to say like, we're doing this for liberty. That's, and if it's not, I mean, then he's falling, he's stepping on his own feet, but we'll see. Is that Kojima? Oh. That is George Orwell. Orwell, come yep. on, man. I love that. Oh, Eternal boy. dirt. That, that one tickled me. All right. Here's your next one. It's okay. your third last. Third last. He who controls the battlefield controls history. War has changed. When the battlefield is under total control, war becomes routine. Is that Orwell? Or is that Kojima? That's really interesting. I feel... I'm going to guess that's Kojima. Correct, Daniel. Dude, what if one of these is actually Snake quoting Orwell? That would have been pretty great. No, I'm sure that happens, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I didn't find any. I got five right and two wrong at this point. I got two more. Yeah, you got two more. I think you've officially won. Let's see if you can crush it. Yeah, winning is not the point. The point is to not embarrass myself. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Here's your next one. Okay. Your penultimate question. Quote. Saints should always be judged guilty until they are proved innocent. Is that Snake or is that Hideo? You know what? I'm going to get uh, 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 take a shot in the dark and say that's Orwell. Okay. Yeah, I missed. <laughs> really? <laughs> I had my eyes closed. I missed. <laughs> okay. Correct, Daniel. All right. All right. And here's your final one. Final. Final one. Okay. Find something to believe in and find it for yourself. When you do, pass it on to the future. That's from the ending of Metal Gear Solid 2. Correct! <laughs> yeah! Well done, Daniel. You know you're Metal Gear Solid. Oh, unfortunately. <laughs> I'm so sorry. You know, the crazy thing is that it would have been better if I had, like really knew my Orwell. Uh, but no, it's like, no, I've, I unfortunately know those fucking dumb Metal Gear Solid games. Yeah. I want to point out, like, I don't really like, I find them interesting. <laughs> sure. They're very... I'm so curious about them. They're interesting, like, puzzles. Yeah. They're not, they're not, not their gameplay's puzzle, but themselves, the yeah. writing, the plotting. Yeah, and, like, the again, those games, especially, like, what I've been playing, uh, we mentioned this before with the, the quarantine and everything, I've been playing Death Stranding, Hidukajima's like, new game. Sure. And, like, they're, like to be in that guy's headspace is actually a lot of fun because you're just like, God, oh, totally. it's so weird in here. I believe it. He, and, he's, he's, our, he's our major auteur game maker. Yeah, the last thing that he is is boring yeah although to be honest i he can be boring oh absolutely yeah, like the story and yeah, the, listeners this is our quarantine <laughs> we are daniel's playing death stranding and i'm playing animal crossing and it just kind of like we intercross every now and, and then. i'm also playing animal crossing, animal crossing, animal crossing. You, can then, bar- you can borrow the disc with death stranding if you want ever. i'd love to i'm yeah. also popping in and out of red dead and yeah. um uh i i got back into shovel knight uh king of cards hey god damn those shovel knight games are amazing that's a gabriel uh, good game. I yeah. managed to not really embarrass my... Well, I did. You did. Yeah. <laughs> you won, but you also lost. I, essentially because it's like, no, I know what Mel Gersel... Yeah, you know, you know that out. ending speech from MGS2. Uh, you can't forget it. You hear it once and it's in your head forever. Mm-hmm. Um, be- yeah. Uh, that's a Gabriel. Good job on creating the yeah. game. When we come back, we're going to finish talking about 
politics in the English language? Yep, okay. that's the one. And, and then uh, talk about what we're going to read next and all that shit. Gabriel? I was to play. Cool beans. Honest salutations. Ugh. Dear audio listeners. To slow readers. So, What would be the, the, the modern English version of uh, slow readers? It would be hmm. not quick... <laughs> that's that's getting into what's it called into double speak into double speak yeah mm-hmm. um speaking of which gabriel um i wrote down some notes that like i, I didn't like i think we can talk a lot about daniel's like, idle thoughts let me let me go through i wrote down three points i want to bring up especially uh-huh um number one okay. word count so this is like a five thousand word essay sure um which is like like on we've the, all written one of those it's on like the longer side or whatever but like yeah uh, that said, number two, criticisms. Gabriel. Yeah, I'd love to hear these. Yes, uh, they're a lot of fun. Any famous ones? Uh, yeah, sort of. Hemingway. Well, this is my shit. Oh, Hemingway's like, like, ah, my bro. Ah, I'm dying. Uh, they knew. Let each- me steal this urinal. They knew each other from. Uh, they knew each other from uh, Civil War correspondence, by the way. That's cool. They had uh different opinions on like why the left lost or whatever. I forget exactly what it was. I think it was um. Hemingway was saying that like uh, the left was like there were like gorillas and they weren't properly trained for war. They were just people. Yeah, they're throwing bananas. And Orwell was like, uh, was like, no, they were. They knew what they were doing. They just fucking lost or whatever. I don't know. Uh, that's it. Mm-hmm. Supposedly he wrote about uh, Orwell in one of his bad Africa books. Bad that... is is that a a bad <laughs> book about Africa or titles bad Africa? Oh no no I mean like all of his Africa books are horrible. Oh okay. Uh that's it. Sure. Right. Uh criticisms. Uh apparently the rate of passive sentences within a study of articles at like uh, I'm sorry let me say this again I wrote it down probably sloppily. Uh, basically there was an article uh, that appeared on Miriam Webster that analyzed, uh, the language of this essay and also articles at the time. Cool. Basically pointing out that like, like the average rate, uh, rate of like passive sentences in like a modern English articles was around 13%. Hmm. Uh, 20% of these sentences in this essay are passive. That's so interesting. So, and again, that comes from like, a Miriam Webster article. I wonder if that was him laying traps. I don't, maybe. Like, I, here you go, pedants. I, don't get me wrong. Like, uh. He was a clever guy. He was very clever. He he was. He was one of those like freakishly like intelligent people too. Um, and tall. But uh, that's it. And freakishly tall. Much like a lot of authors out there, like Tom Wolfe, Michael Crichton. I mean, don't be me wrong. Maybe I'm just pointing out like the only really tall ones I know. <laughs> hey, there's a direct correlation to being tall and um, thinking you have something to say. True. Like Michael Crichton. Like Michael Crichton. To be fair, he was very shy. Congo much? He was very shy. Yeah. I'm writing about the Congo. Uh, no, he also, also apparently like there was like, there was like some guy that's quoted, uh, not anyone familiar, but he's like, like, what? How dare you say that we can't (laughs) use common phrases? That's the foundation of English or whatever, but yeah. Like. And but like, that guy's name lost the history. And look, like, uh, you can kind of, like... It was Benjamin Disraeli. <laughs> you can kind of, like, waddle back and forth between, like, certain points, like, you know, certain things. Um, One of the funny things is that the last uh, the last of the rules... Let me bring it up real quick. The last of the rules break any of these rules sooner than say anything outright barbarous. And I'm just thinking about how, like, really solid, especially, like, America, like American English and whatnot, mm-hmm. um, is, like, is closer to, like, speech uh, than it is, like, you know, like, British English. Sure. No, I and, believe that. And that said, and I went, like, and I was like, well, a really great example is, well, that's funny. Uh, I'm reading a book called Hurricane Season by um, uh, uh, Fernanda Melkor, a Mexican writer. Cool. And, and I would say, like, oh, that is very, very, very plain English. 
and outright barbarous. The language in that is so vile and violent and obscene. It's it's crazy. That's a great case. That one of his points in the essay is we should stop using words that we only know the definition of by context. Yes. And barbarous is one of those ones that um so you've watched the crash course um world history thing yeah, of yeah. John Green. Uh-huh. And the definition of bar- the term barbarian came from I think it was either Greek or Latin. I don't even recall. Uh-huh. But it was any foreigner who wasn't speaking Greek or Latin. Because to them, yeah. it sounded like everyone going, bar, 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 bar. Yeah, like technically, he should be using a more clear word other than barbarous. Because barbarous can mean a bunch of things. Can mean many things. Or just something like basically foreign, non-English speaking. Yeah. You know, wherever. Yeah. So so Conan the Barbarian was just a guy who went go, bar, 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 he just spoke with barbs. Rudder, 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 rudder. But like, yeah, like, yeah, uh, saying some of these things, especially with like language and like, this is why Strunk and White definitely does like a much better job in like their elements of style because like they're very clear for the yeah, most part. Yeah, thing is sparse. It's, it's, yeah. Whereas like this was something that he wrote and I can't stress, he wrote like 130 articles in like a year. Yeah, there's something His playful <laughs> about this article though that I really enjoy. Yeah, true. Um, uh, one last thing. Bar, 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 bar. 1984. Gabriel. 1984. So again, I just want to say real quick, and I don't want to talk about it too much because again, I don't. You haven't know read it. Oh, we can return to it once. Like, we can return to this, this conversation once we read it. Oh, totally. It's on. It's on a strand eighty. Um. Yeah. And maybe we can pick this, or we're gonna talk about in right. It's a great read. <laughs> but Gabriel, there's um. So there's Poor this, there's this thing in there, and especially like the Orwellian kind of like world and whatnot. Yeah. Is like this idea of uh. Insock dystopian uh society that's basically being controlled by basically like a certain mindset mm-hmm. and he talks about the in, in this as well where like language and mindset are kind of like chicken and egg here yeah you know thought crime yeah like thought crimes or whatever where like like these concepts like if like they're very interesting and then they're made into like science fiction yeah. uh, uh like you know secondary world building <laughs> you know i, I love in, in i love 1984, 1984. Uh, specifically like Newspeak. Newspeak, in, as I talk about in this with like the politics, we're saying it's like, uh, you know, a politician can be on stage, answer like a room full of questions for an hour and not say a thing. Mm-hmm. You know, we're like, it's it's you say very polite ways for one reason or another, talking about some really horrendous, wrenching, yeah. gut-wrenching things. Do you want you want to read the quote from the essay? Because it's a great little touch on there. Uh, I don't know. Here, one second. I don't know if I want to read the whole quote because I, I know you have something to say. Um but like essentially he has this really great point and it's it sounds really dark and it catches you off guard yeah and then you totally get what he's talking about let me see one second uh mm-hmm. where is it let me see hero oops they say a hero can save us but i'm not gonna stand here and wait well why look it up i'm gonna read the quote all right here's a great example here's exactly here's the point of this article of this essay okay. about how we use speech differently so um such phraseology is needed if one is to name things while calling up mental pictures of them. Mm-hmm. Consider, for instance, some comfortable English professor defending Russian totalitarianism. He cannot say outright, I believe in killing off your opponents when you can get good results by doing so. Probably, therefore, he will say something like this. While freely conceding that the Soviet regime exhibits certain features which a humanitarian may be inclined to deplore, we must, I think, agree that a certain curtailment of the right to political opposition is an unavoidable concomitant of transitional periods, and that the rigors which the Russian people have been called upon to undergo have been amply justified in a sphere of conc- concrete achievement. Yes. It's it's someone saying, I think that um, the ends justify the means, kill people all you want, and 
<laughs> wrapping it in so much confusing wrapping paper. Yes. Um. And now my mind just went through a, di- through a direct line. Well, that's a car alarm. Oh, that's my date okay. honking at me to come outside. Come on, Abby! Get out here! I'm not knocking your door. And my my cruel stepmother is like, no, you must come to the door. Oh, okay, I like that. Uh, Gabriel, um, mm-hmm. I, I see my mind kind of doing a direct line from like this to Trump and whatnot. Because I want to talk about like... Actually, like, uh, I, I think in... my, my opinion might surprise you. Okay, uh, you love Trump. <laughs> I love... You're, you're a huge Trump. Because uh, let me tell you something. I, I was thinking about this and saying like so much... Yeah, I was actually going to read like the beginning of that paragraph, which is like this really wonderful kind of shocking thing. Uh, he condemns the Catholic Church. In our time, political speech and writing are largely the defense of the indefensible. Mm-hmm. Things like the continuance of British rule in India, the Russian purges and deportations, the dropping of the atom bombs in Japan can indeed be defended, but only by arguments which are too brutal for most people to face and which do not square with the professed aims of the political parties. So fascinating. Which is like saying that like, you can argue cases for all those things, which are... Like, I mean, like, yeah, we can talk about, like, whether or not you truly believe that they are defensible or not. But, like, you can argue in their defense for very practical, for, like, logical reasons. But, like, to say, like, uh, I believe he says, um, defenseless villages are bombarded from the air. The inhabitants driven out into the countryside. The cattle machine gunned. The hut set on fire with incendiary bullets. This is called pacification. Yeah. Uh, like, using, like, these, like, like, like listen, these need to be pacified. Like massaged words. Yeah, like, massage words. They're putting very delicately these really horrible Truths. Yeah, or like not even yeah. delicately, they are putting a justification to it. Yeah, like a a, a painted justification. Yeah. Oh, no, we're pacifying these people. We're pacifying the like uh they they wanted to take our freedom. Yeah, it's know? it's the argument that like war crimes are allowed because it makes them weak and makes us win. Yes, but and you can't say that. You have to write a paragraph in in deeply manipulative language to make it work yes and that is an art and uh and it's kind of crazy and i think some people perhaps are really looking for uh political leaders who talk directly and plainly exactly which is where i was thinking about like and i was thinking that and and then i kind of have an opinion but gabriel what 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 opinion do you have about this whole language thing and that was basically my exact point you 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 elaborated on that that um I, having read um I read Hillbilly Elegy that's a great little read about um what about the people who uh like the people in the south and in the in the hills the the hill folk mm. about how and why um politics turned this way uh-huh. and how they feel completely disenfranchised and alone mm-hmm. and JD Vance the author in interviews he talks about this really interestingly that his opinion on Trump is that he does not like Trump he does not support Trump mm-hmm. but he 100% understands why his people chose Trump yeah. <clears throat> because what the what the people what the poor white people are not interested in anymore is the double speak and the the long elaborate speeches that mm-hmm. explain nothing about why they do the things they do yeah. What they wanted was a rude, loud-mouthed man who they saw on television, who is rich, mm-hmm. to, to tell it like it is. Yeah. What people mm-hmm. want is for people to tell it like it is, which is interesting considering the actual amount of truth in it, what he's saying is, I think, what you're about to go into. But yeah. what I think people... like this, this essay speaks directly to, if not 
actively to, mm-hmm. to the people who are J.D. Vance is writing about because they don't want this kind of talk. This talk is fucking meaningless. Yes. It's all a bunch of lies that make you look good. The common parties, like, and I'm a registered Democrat. Uh-huh. I, I, that's the way I go. And most of the people that we support, it's all speechifying in circles, making yourself look and sound good. Uh-huh. Without, and you're, you are just maintaining the party line, yeah. which is unfortunate, but it's just a reality for political system. Telling the party line. Telling the party <laughs> I, I, You yeah. saw me not say it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's fascinating to me that the candidate who won over... Who, who upset the entire American political system mm-hmm. was the one who talked plainly. Yeah. Um, and there, again, I, I think I've referenced this before on the show plenty of times, but there's this really great uh, video essay by uh, the nerd writer, the nerd writer. Um, which is like how Trump answers a question. And it really explores the way he talks. And uh, I've seen some, I've seen bits like this before where like he answers like a political question on a talk show using like very simple language like uh, words either have one or two uh, 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 syllables and anytime he says a word that has more than two syllables he like swallows it and it's it's crazy because he'll say something like problematic or something like that and you'll say it like really quick and under his breath and then and then he like refers back to um like repeating like certain words that phrases yeah. and whatnot it's really fucking interesting because again like I might like I, I I'm curious about like this where it's like Trump's not like dumb necessarily. He, no, there, there's a there's a percussive musicality to his speech that is immediately recognizable. Yes. I mean, every time I hear him talk and I remember I want to throw up. I, I hate it. I remember like I every time I heard him talk back like leading up to like the 2016 election, like early on when he was first. I was like this fucking asshole come on yeah like like in but like yeah people like that and you know what perhaps it is a fault of again our political parties where it's like we like if listening to politics is like like outside of debates that's a slightly different version yeah but like it sounds like lawyer speak you know yeah, the speech writers yeah. of like political parties yeah like like and some of us have like some more tolerance towards certain kind of verbiage or whatever yeah but like you know listening to you know george w bush talk about like you know war from like it sounds ridiculous but some yeah. people love that people bought it people that's wa- all that mattered it wasn't necessarily that he was right or yeah. it was accurate this He's, is all this is all like exponentially greater with trump but yeah people bought it yeah, you, you glom onto phrases like mission accomplished or exactly. or the terrorists want to attack our freedom or something yeah. like that, you know. But anyway, um but that said That's that's what the essay's about. It's it's fascinating the way we use language to either hide or to show. It's pretty great. Yeah. One of my favorite lines uh, uh about language comes from the film The Assassination of Jesse James. Never heard of it. Uh where uh the one guy uh Dick By the Coward Robert Ford? The, the the guy playing what's that? By the coward Robert Ford? Yeah, no, that's the sequel. Oh, okay, um, <laughs> okay, 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 sorry. But uh, the, the assassination of Jesse James by Superman. By Superman, yeah. Um, but no, the Dick Little character says, uh, <laughs> like, has this whole thing. Um, it's full of D's. How dare you? <laughs> uh, but uh, the Dick Little character, he uh, he makes like he tells like he's basically like making fun of like uh, someone else in the group like to his face, but he's using kind of like like massaged language, or whatever. Is that Mark Brandanowitz? Uh, is that the guy who was from the first season of? Uh, yeah, that's, that's his yeah, character's yeah, name, yeah, yeah. Paul Schneider. Paul, Sh- Paul Schneider. Schneider sounds right. Something like that. But um, he uh he says like he says something like, like like oh like he talks about poetry when he's basically insulting somebody, but it sounds great and everyone doesn't get it, and he just goes like, uh-huh. yeah, you see, you can hide things in words. Yeah, you know, and it's like one of like the coolest things. Paul that, Schneider, you're right. Paul Schneider, thank you. It's like one of my favorite things. It it uh, kind of talks about what that 
that that like that story is all about as well especially to the way that people talk to each other where it's like mm-hmm. you can you're saying things buried underneath what you're saying um but that said uh that just reminds me i had like a whole other thing about like a uh, 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 writing and like especially like literary writing and everyone like read on writing by Stephen King but that said no read elements of style bro read both <laughs> yeah or both they're both really great that's it I'm sorry uh, Gabriel oh that's yeah what's up yeah I'm sorry I won't get into that because that's like kind of long and I think we're going long right yeah, I'll, talk, I'll read 1984 soon yeah uh, that's it Gabriel yeah. final thoughts mm-hmm. on politics and the English language sure uh, yeah do you have anything that you want to kind of like the final thoughts yeah a little bit to it um i read this essay on the recommendation of an ex-girlfriend that um uh, she passed me an essay of orwell's you know orwell essays and uh-huh. it's great it's also why i read down and out um i'm fascinated by his writing that his writing's great it's it's intellectual but also approachable and it's funny and mm. it's kind of mean <laughs> it's dark <laughs> i don't know i really like this essay this essay it, it's it's hard for an essay to make me laugh uh-huh. and especially one that's kind of stayed as this one it's not a it's not a fucking article for the av club yeah but i really like this little bit of english language it's very very informative yeah. what about you guy uh i dig it um I, that's a like it does kind of feel like like the points like it the only the only fault i would have in this is that like its points are like uh like the 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 points on language itself are kind of like so familiar but the connection between this and like politics and swaying masses and it's a smaller de- portion of it defending like a, like atrocious acts with w- that like you can def- de- explain with logic but it's like don't. 30% of the essay yeah like that was like the really interesting stuff um that's it i can't stress enough like those anytime he has like a like a like a, an example of bad modern english I, I don't understand what it says. It's it's very funny. To me. Like the one I caught, I caught the words fascist and so and communism, and like it's like okay, so it's about that, but like I don't know what it's saying. Like literally, it's like in another language. Mm-hmm. I can't understand it. Agreed. Uh, Gabriel. Yes, Daniel. Uh, hazy memories. Hazy memories. Brought to you by. Sorry. Our friend. No, I was going to say it too. Off. No, I was going to say exactly what <laughs> okay. you were saying. Go ahead. Yeah, no. Brought to us by our old buddy from the Whip Round Podcast. Uh, Shawnee B. Horny. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jonathan B. Hayes, a.k.a. Uh, my throat. The Taskmaster. The Taskmaster himself. Uh, mm-hmm. f- uh, uh, no, I was going to say uh, who's not a dick lover, but that's actually uh, uh, Dr. Phil. Yeah. So um, um, check out um, uh, the Whip Around podcast. They're our good friends every Wednesday for all your weird news needs. Uh-huh. Not Gal- the Fox show. Galvanization. Oof. Uh, that's it. Um, the, uh, that we have word a, means the cover and metal. We have a thing called Hazy Memories. Gabriel. Uh, you might even have one already. Uh, would, before rereading it this time, when you haven't read this uh, essay in a little bit, uh-huh. when you think about it, what is your hazy memory about it? I think about his rule set, and I think primarily about um that wonderful uh that the the two sentences that we read mm-hmm. the the translation. That's what I remembered most from reading this essay uh, from Ecclesiastes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So that's what I think about. I think about how it's so easy to turn something so unbearably complicated into something simple. Yes. And vice versa. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's really bad writing. <laughs> it's so bad. It's so bad. Oh my God. It's so bad. Yeah. And then this is, this is the norm. It's horrible. Yes. It was the norm. Like all those phrases, I can't believe saw like a public audience, you know, like do people really read that? Mm-hmm. You know, like, I mean, this bad. is why people don't like school. You, you sit <laughs> down, they hand you a pretty hand you a packet, no. read pages 1 through 16 and no one takes anything in because it's a bunch of fucking gibberish because it's that right clearly like honestly uh, I think I, I do think that certain schools should basically be 
she'd basically translate like this old modern English mm-hmm. into like like contemporary English. Let's it's call it's it. like I'm um, a portable Shakespeare on the right hand side. Yeah. It's plain English. Like you need to actually do that with just like this horrible fucking yeah. sentence. And they're not writing like poetry. They're just they're just padding words. No. Also, speaking of which, um, it's very important to point out that like this is referring to nonfiction, I believe. Yes. Like articles not fiction. and whatnot, because like um, the whole thing I wanted to talk, I didn't I don't want to talk about right now. But like it's talking about like like this kind of rules and how like for example like literary uh, literary languages can like like break those rules but to effect. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's different. Uh, if you want to talk about this again, that's maybe we'll talk about that when we're talking about like on writing or something. Sure. Like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my hazy memory that sentence I just read about like you know like using a pacification to kind of like massage like these terms about like fucking slaughtering people and love that it's really horrifying but it's like yeah yeah that's right toy gabriel yes daniel so i uh that's that's it we're not talking about this anymore put it away okay let's put it away aka let me x out of this page (sighs) oh jesus i'm gonna put it to bed gabriel yes daniel next week are we reading what i think we're gonna read i think so Gabriel, what are we reading? We are going to be reading The Things They Carried by Tim O'Brien. Uh-huh. We're going to be joined on the show by my friend Christy Brannon, mm. a uh, very funny and excellent comedian here in Los Angeles. What's her name again? Christy Brannon. Thank you. She has a uh, great podcast coming out very soon. Ooh. I just guessed it on it. It's, she hasn't released them yet. It's called It's All Downhill. Okay. So I'm um, uh, check that out when it comes out. But um, next week, we're going to be talking about that bad boy. All right, no, that's cool. Yeah, I can't wait to talk to her. I have not communicated with this human being out there. She's a cool she, cat. She could be an AI. We'll see it if I an uh, AI. I'll believe when I see it. Sure. Uh, but that said, um, yeah. Looking and after for- that, what's what's after that? Are we doing our uh, uh, our our Broly Ball pick, which was Ender's Game, or no? Let's do a piece of short fiction. All right, uh, I'll, I'll pick something out. I think I'm gonna pick like a Ted Chang story or something. And then like that. Ender's Game. Yeah. Or Bell No, we're doing Bell Jar, not Ender's Game. Yeah. Let's do right? Yeah, let's do Bell Jar after that. Sure. That, Short that story than Bell Jar. That, I like that idea. Let's do that. You should really post on Instagram what our upcoming books are. You should ask my D. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Solid. <laughs> so uh no, I'm looking forward, aka uh <clears throat> let me see if I can do this voice. The things they carried. The things Red they carried. By Brian Cranston. Otacon. <clears throat> I can't do it. <clears throat> oh, you're, you're cranny. Yeah, I'm doing cranny. Your right Brian now. Cranston yeah. voice. I have. I've started re-listening to it again. I gotta um, buy. It's it's like fifteen bucks again. So. It's fifteen bucks again. Yeah. On on uh, iBooks, the audiobook. Yeah, iBooks uh. and uh, and Audible. And Audible. Oh, that fucking sucks. Don't it you... turns out that the Barnes and Noble near us is um does drop off service. Okay. So I might just buy a hard copy. I don't know if it's gonna be any cheaper because I think the only copies that are available are the uh, the trade paperback. I guess I just get the cranny. Yeah. Plus, like again, like I can't stress enough, you get cranny. Sure. Um, and it's going to be very interesting. Uh, I don't even know if you're aware that it's actually a collection of, uh, for the most part, it's, um, uh, what do you call it? Fables. We, we talked about this before. It's a fixed up Myth. novel or something like that. Oh yeah. He edited it. Yeah. We're essentially, cause like the he first, pocketed it. the first, <laughs> the first story is a, uh, it was like, I think a story that he published elsewhere, which is the titular one. And then like, and then you see like, uh, oh, with uh, Angela uh, Carter's book where. Oh yeah. Wait, no, that's not true. Not that one. Alice Monroe, I thought it was. Was it Alice Monroe? Who edited well, your own stories? No, no. Was it Angela well, Carter? The, the, the fix-up novel is the one where it's like you take a collection of, of like writings and oh, you yeah. kind of repurpose them as a novel. Who did that? I don't Who remember. the fuck did that? Listeners Shit. write into us. Yeah. Help us out here. Or I could look it up in a moment. But um, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's kind of one of those. Uh, You'll see where like, but after, but like, you can see it also kind of 
goes in a certain order or whatever. But so wait. It, it, because again, it just kind of jumps all over the place. I'm very excited to talk about this. Gabriel. Gabriel. Mm-hmm. Plug. Um, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't done it already, please check out Self-Evident Asian America's Stories. Um, it's a historical document. It's a, a documentary podcast about heritage, about the Asian American experience. It is now airing on KALW 91.7 in San Francisco. So we've hit the public radio airwaves. That's really, hey. really amazing. I'm very proud of it. My yeah, episode right. is the talker you're supposed to have, episode three. Um, it's online right now. It's on the AV Club. So that's like my chronic achievement so far. Daniel's taking a selfie. No, I'm not. I'm trying to get a better signal because okay, fair fucking enough. Thing. Um, I am going to be performing stand up once again this weekend on uh, the Arts Quest Seal Stacks improvised stand up online show. So go to the Arts Quest Seal Stacks website and ask for the RSVP so you can watch me do Adderall and <laughs> and have a lot of wine and rant like incoherently about um whatever bullshit themes they have it's a really funny show if you're in the audience you can submit prompts mm-hmm. you can submit a random phrase and i'll have to riff on it for a while it's a really funny show i hope i don't fuck up last time turned out pretty good but that I, I i blame the adderall so um mm. it's a good time so please if you're so inclined go to the arts quest steel stacks website in the bethlehem arts quest steel stacks and um sign up to watch the show because i'm going to be doing it i think it's um 8 p.m on saturday this coming Saturday, the uh, 25th. Okay. So that's my gig coming up, which is kind of wild to say. Um, follow me on Instagram at read.richards, read like reading a book. Um, Daniel. Yes. I don't know what the thing was. Huh? Like at all. Like huh? the, 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 the fix up now. Maybe it was Bloody Chamber? No, that was, I'm a, almost that, I'm a, what's your face? And, uh, and Monroe? George R. R. Martin? Uh, oh, was that? The thing, the Lisa Tuttle thing. I mean, yeah, yeah that, that, literally, that literally was the. Uh... That was a fix-up novel. Okay, is that what I was referring to? I think so. Okay, cool. I forgot we did that. I'm reading that novel right now. Yeah. Uh. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Windhaven. Check it out. It's actually a lot of fun. Sure. Uh. Gabriel. Yeah. You can follow me on Twitter. At I do. Top Gun Radio. Well, fuck you. Tell the listeners, not me. Uh, uh. Uh. You can follow me on Twitter at Top Gun Radio. Listeners, not Gabe. Yeah. I don't uh. And also, you can follow me uh, where I'm mainly active on Instagram at Slow Readers. Uh, that said, um, you can buy my fiction available right now. All they're out there in the world, essentially, and all anywhere we get ebooks. Uh, uh, a cook in the kingdom and the shadow from the deep, and you can get the physical copies only on Amazon. Hell yeah, Gabriel. Uh huh. This is the end of the show. Cool. See you guys next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs>